Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Welcome back, amigas. Welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I am excited for today's guest. We get to interview Dr. Janet Mercado. Oh, what an amazing soul. So who is Dr. Mercado? So Dr. Mercado coordinates a federally funded longitudinal study investigating the cognitive and language development of 211 participants. This role includes creating and implementing data collection procedures, analyzing data and reporting findings, adapting measures, training personnel on project-related activities, and maintaining strong relationships with her research community. Facing a challenging year due to the pandemic, Dr. Mercado ensured that the project continued by coordinating virtual data collection and implementing innovative online protocols. Dr. Mercado is a project coordinator for the English Learner Study at the University of California, Irvine. And she works with these amazing participants in creating this research. And now uh, she's here with us and to talk about her research projects and what she's doing now with this research. So without further ado, this is Dr. Mercado. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I have some exciting news here. I have a beautiful soul. She's got such a, a beautiful spirit. And I knew that I needed to have her here on this podcast because what she does is so transformative for our educational system. And we all know that many Latinos out there uh, don't go that path. And here we have someone who actually went all the way with a PhD. So her name is uh, Janet Mercado, Dr. Mercado. Welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Thank you for having me, Jackie. I'm so excited to be here and share my experience and I hope, you know, someone takes something out of it and I'm happy to, to be here with you. 
Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Well, I, let's get started. So, I mean, I know you and some do know you already um, based on the business that, that my brothers are in with your husband. But right. let's get to know you. Like, where are you from? Obviously, your last name is Latino, but but um, were you born here in the United States? I mean, really, what's your familial background? Yeah, I'm actually, I was born here um, in East, Los, well, I was born in Boyle Heights, um, and I grew up in East Los Angeles, and um, I grew up with a parent, both parents, um, a mom that was from Puerto Rico, um, and a father that was from Mexico. Um, both of my parents uh, met in Boyle Heights, and luckily, you know, they got to raise, you know, myself and, and my siblings, and you know, I, I got to go to school in, in like East Los Angeles. Um, and I think, um, you know, in, in a community that's mostly Latino, um, I definitely mostly spoke Spanish most of my, um, my, my, my childhood into now my career, you know, a lot of we'll get into, but my research focuses on um, the Spanish language and how it's used. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely in a community that's Latino. I am a Latina. And um, yeah, so that has obviously um, impacted the research that I do, um, the choices that I've made to you know, pursue a PhD and, and do this type of work. Um, so as an undergrad, um, I just went to a local university. I went to Cal State Los Angeles. And you know, I kind of just went there because it was kind of like the closest school. At that point, I didn't know anyone that had gone to a college. I think my sister-in-law had gone there and that was the only person that I knew at that point that had gone to a university. You know, my, my dad went maybe up until like four grades, four years of schooling and my mom did complete high school. Um, so, you know, just kind of figuring out what, what, what do I like to do? I went in actually with a biochemistry uh, major and then I took a course in psychology and just found um, the human mind to be so interesting. So I ended up, you know, just following that route, changing majors. I um, became part of a lab, um, a research lab at school that focused on more like um, stressors and trauma. And, you know, that really got me interested in research and, you know, always had, you know, this like interest in, in having these questions and finding ways to answer those questions. So that kind of got my mind focused into, you know, studying something. I just, you know, couldn't exactly pinpoint it at, the, at that point as an undergrad. So at the same time that I was working as an undergraduate research assistant for this lab, I was also tutoring throughout East Los Angeles and throughout um, Southeast LA. And a lot of the students that I worked with were, you know, in high school, but they, they seemed to have, um, not not be where they should be you know for their grade level you know not having that really strong foundational knowledge in you know mathematics even in language arts so you know that kind of incited well what's going on what why are all these students behind and you know through that that kind of incited this you know interest in, in educational research and um that initially kind of led me to pursue, you know, a, a PhD in education and influenced my research and, and 
you know, incited me to continue on to, to finish my degree. And then, you know, it still is part of me as I continue this, you know, research in um, education and uh, language development. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Okay. There's a lot that you said there that I love right. to unpack. Sure. And, um, uh, and here's the thing. You went to Cal State LA and you switch majors obviously because and then you found out that um that there was this need like there was this deficiency let's talk about that what was it that you found that really excited you and said wait a minute i need to really dig really deep there right so i'd worked with a, a lot of high school students and you know i'd, I'd either go to their homes or I'd go into the library and meet them there. And a lot of them, you know, I think initially felt either a little intimidated just because I was just an adult, I think that was going to work with them. Um, or, you know, they felt uneasy. And I think as I kind of discovered that they were just really behind and, you know, and I'm seeing to the point where a lot of these high school students didn't know their, you know, basic multiplications or, or fractions. And, you know, that, that just put this, you know, concern, like what's, what's going on? Like, if they don't know this, how are they gonna get to college? How are they gonna do on their SATs? And, uh, you know, unfortunately, mathematics is, is so important that it just influences all these other, you know, it influences all these science careers, all these techno technology careers. And I just, you know, how are these students going to get there? What, what's going to happen to these students if, if at this point they're not, you know, learning this? So it just, you know, started that concern. And, and initially when I would sit with them, you know, I would kind of just try to get to know them. Um, I was always very friendly and um, I, I would try to, I think teach it to them in a way that it was even for me to kind of go back and, and remember all of this like older mathematics and, and why these rules make sense. Um, and I think it's difficult because one, I think with mathematics, we're kind of made to just memorize rules and not really know why we're using them. And if you don't get it, you're kind of like just left behind. The you know curriculum keeps moving really quickly. And if you don't, you know, gather this basic, you know, skill early on, you're just going to continue to be left behind over the years. And so, you know, that was, you know, again, my main concern. Some of these students, too, I would talk to them like at a yeah, personal level. I would spend, you know, I don't know, so many hours with each one. And, and some of them, you know, would tell me, oh, well, you know, my teacher doesn't care about me. Um, and, you know, or, you know, my parents can't help me with, with my homework. That's why we have you as a tutor. And, you know, and, and it, it's sad. And I felt like some of these students um, started a little, um, you know, like I say, shy or, or unconfident. Un and then over, the, over time, I, I would just kind of give them attention and focus on what I thought that they needed. And, I, I saw a lot of them really um, develop their understanding and feel confident. Like I remember this one student, um, you know, he was like a, a young male, and he I thought, oh, he's going to be a little bit of trouble. Um, but over the, over time, I, I found ways to relate to him, um, and I remember starting with him with like really basic fractions, and then it leading to me using my college algebra book to teach him. 
And I didn't tell him that until I felt that he mastered, you know, a lot of these, um, these problems. And I told him that he's like, really? And then, so, you know, I tutored him and he was so confident. He started whistling as he was doing a lot of the math work. Um, so, so that also brought the idea of, of how important, not just setting that foundational knowledge is, but how important it is to really like honor who these people are as individuals and, and give them this attention that they need. Um, so yeah, that's, that definitely sparked the, the direction of, of my research. Right. I think that is a, a huge part of why kids don't really want to learn. They right. don't have that, that extra attention. If, if their parents are out working, mm -hmm. obviously, who's going to take care of them? Some of them don't even have nannies to take care of them. So they're like pretty right. much on their own accord, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, that is a huge issue. And, and if we would be able to remove that, that component, I'm sure, I mean, our Latino kids would be really advanced, really advanced, right. right? So, okay, well, we have what we have, right? We have what we have, but you have been in this uh, trajectory of changing, creating change through these research um, endeavors that you've made. And right now you are uh, working at UC Irvine, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so please tell us what are your studies there what are you researching? How is this impacting that fellow high school student that you are teaching someone like that? Right, so this study that I work for is a little different because this one actually focuses on language. Um, and the under, underlying issue that kind of, you know, is part of this goal of mine is that it serves a community that is, um, a, you know, that needs a little bit more help is, you know, lower socioeconomic status, um, definitely um, Latino um, students. And so this is important for so, so many reasons. Um, I just wanted to make a little connection to why I went from like math research to now, you know, literacy. Um, it's definitely um, focused on that community. Um, before I get into, you know, the, the specifics of the study, I, I do want to say that Part of the big reason why I love this study is that one, we're working with elementary school students at a really young age. Um, and it's not, it's not necessarily me working with them. I have a lot of, I have a group of like, you know, anywhere from 10 to 25 undergraduate um, students that work with them who are bilingual. So our study is a bilingual study. And I, I really love that these elementary students, one, get to work with college students early on and see, wow, like this person is in, is in a university, this is a university student, that's awesome. But also that they're Latinos and that they're speaking Spanish to them. Um, and just, you know, like, hey, like your, your Spanish, your language, your background, it's really valuable and it's gonna get you somewhere. And I, I love that connection. And it's definitely not, a, you know, this big part of the study. It's just something I see um, that I feel is, is very valuable that is not going to be measured. So in terms of my actual study, what we do is I work, of course, under a primary investigator. And, you know, she, you know, comes up with all the you know, theory behind all of this. But I definitely coordinate every aspect of this project. 
um, from recruiting our participants to um, creating the measures that we use um, to you know being present and coordinating actual data collection and um, you know analyzing um, some of the data, scoring the data. So it, I do, I do a lot of, of things, and, and I also love that aspect of my job as well. I'm always you know thinking critically, problem solving. It's no day is the same. So what we we study is it's a longitudinal study, and what we're doing is we're looking at dual language learners. Um, a lot of them, you know, English is actually their second language, and we're following a group of students across three years. We're actually in the third year of the project. So starting in grade one, you know, we did these measures with them, and then we did it again in grade two, and now we're doing it in grade three. So we're looking at their cognitive skills, looking at how they comprehend stories, um, their abilities to make inferences, and then perspective taking. Along with that, we're also looking at their oral language skills, vocabulary, their listening comprehension skills. And we have a third part where we look at their writing skills. So all of these are, you know, really foundational skills to have as one develops um, across the grades to learn how to read and write, which is obviously very important for any career um, and, and for schooling, of course. So we're not just looking at how these develop across the ages, you know, grades one, two, and three, but we're also looking at how the skills Again, these students are, are tested in English and in Spanish. How these skills transfer across languages. You know, some kids are taking in information in one language. They might even be answering us in the, in the opposite language. So their brains are making all these, you know, connections. And the goal of the study is to really show how valuable it is to be bilingual, how important it is to, to have these skills. You know, in other countries, we if you go to Europe, you go to you know certain Asian countries, they know multiple languages. And in the U.S., for a long time, having a, a second language was not seen as something beneficial, but it is beneficial. And so this study is really trying to bring in all this empirical evidence to show that hey, being bilingual is an asset, and you should be very proud and 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 really you know, develop these skills with our students and encourage them to use both languages. Oh my God. You know, you're saying that bilingual, being bilingual is an asset. It's not a drawback. And I remember, um, I mean, this was back when I was a first, no, was it? I was a second year in law school, I think. So that what that would take me to the year 98, I think. 97, 98. And um, there was this uh, proposition that actually California had. And right. I'm trying to remember, was it two? Great Davis? Yes, 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 yes. During that time, and where they completely eradicated the program. Right. So now coming full circle, what, 20 plus years later, figuring out that what they did was I mean, I'm going to just cuss right now and say fucked up. Yes, absolutely. Because it should not have stopped. Because mm -hmm. back then we had bilingual education. Now, I'm sure now that you're doing this study, now you have the backing to support bilingual education, right? Right. Well, I'm excited for this. So now, okay, so your goal is, right now is first, second, and third grade. Right. And do you think that if your findings are 
fully correct as I would gather that it is, do you believe that the state of California will implement language aside from English language in their curriculum? I mean, I, I would I would hope so. And from what I see across just different districts, it looks like a lot of schools are implementing more dual language programs, be it you know Spanish or Mandarin or another language, Korean. Um, so I think more people are, you know, taking up, I mean, I, as you say, that idea that, hey, it was fucked up, <laughs> they took that away, and, you know, these students can learn absolutely in another language. We all take in information, that's how we make sense of the world. It doesn't matter what language that sense is made, being made out of. Um, so I think that this type of work, you know, it, it gets published in like academic, you know, journals and like psychology education journals. And that's, I think that's where it gets a little difficult in, in a lot of these research projects, they just get published and, and maybe they're cited, you know, with these policymakers. Um, and it, usually my understanding is that a lot of these policymakers have never actually been in schools, um, aren't researchers, and, and, you know, they're kind of making the rules for uh, oh my. <laughs> that's the problem it's like we we elect these representatives but yet they don't they have zero idea of what really goes on on the ground if right. you will right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like they, they don't take the time to go visit the schools visit the children visit visit the teachers make sure right. that that everything is aligned because mm -hmm. obviously not everything is aligned because right. our schools should be doing better Absolutely. Right? In comparison to think, the rest of the world. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that a lot of policymakers, you know, come up with these, you know, I know, implementations and rules and like, here you go, districts, you guys work on it. And the districts, here, teachers, you work on that. And then the teachers are so overwhelmed. They're like, hey, student, here's this information. And no one's really, I think, reflective of what's going on. And I don't think that the consequences are really looked at for like decades. Well, check out what would happen with mm -hmm. the state of California back, like I said, I'm telling you it was either 97, 98 when that happened. Right. Not until now are we really focusing on bilingual, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's very unfortunate. Um, and I'm a very conspiracy theorist. And I think that was on purpose to be quite honest, but you right. know, whatever. We, we right. can table that discussion over wine or beer. Right, I love that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why beer. <laughs> I wonder why beer, right? Yeah. But okay, so so we're, we're, you're doing this data, um, you're in your third, the third year, going into the third year. Um, and now what do you want from this? What is your ultimate goal? Well, I think that one of the first things that we do with the data is to share it with the districts. And, and this isn't one of these, you know, published long, you know, 30 page papers. This is just an executive summary that we give to them every year. Um, we give them a list of like the, the schools and, and teachers that participated. And hey, this is where your students fall. And this is where your students fall on an average scale. So that kind of gives them a different understanding to where they are. Of course, all these districts use standardized testing. Um, that only gives you so much information, right? Um, this, with this study, we do um, have a lot of um, responses that are like these justification questions. So students are actually verbally responding to us and, and you know, we're able to kind of 
come up with all these nuanced, you know, responses and, and, and give them scores. And um, it gives them, you know, more information about their students. And um, something that we've talked about, it, it didn't happen last year because of COVID, um, but I think at the end of this year is that we would like to present this to the parents. Um, you, I don't know if this is surprising to you or not, it was to me, but a lot of the parents in, in, in this particular community um, don't want their students or maybe don't always encourage their kids to speak Spanish, even though they themselves only speak Spanish. And it's because it's been reinforced to them that it's this deficit and, and they want them to speak you know, English more. And, and I think that um, you know, showing them like, hey, like these skills are really important. Like keep pushing your kid to speak Spanish um, I think it's going to be something really valuable just for the parents to hear. I've had to um, contact some parents over the years, you know, just, you know, to, especially last year, it was a remote um, year. I had to collect data through Zoom. I had all my research assistants on Zoom. I turned all my assessments into these like online format um, assessments. And we had to coordinate with teachers. We had to coordinate with parents sometimes. And I talked to them on the phone and they're like, oh, it's so wonderful. Mija, yo no quiero hablar, no me hablan español, like, yo le hablo y luego no me contesta o me contesta en inglés. You know, my daughter doesn't respond to me in Spanish. She, she just responds to me in English. And, and it's difficult. And, you know, sometimes you just kind of feel defeated just because I think English is so universal that you, you, you might think that it's just better to only focus all your skills on English. But you're missing out on, on, you know, all this like critical thinking and, and, and putting these two languages together and all that stuff like transferring in your head and, and the more you like you struggle through it. Sure. But the more you struggle, like the more something's going to stick. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's always the devils are in the details of mm -hmm. everything. Right? right. And the way you thrive is in the uncertainty. Right. You, you know, you can't if you're certain about certain things. Right. That's a double entendre. <laughs> mm -hmm. I okay, cool. That's important. But you know, when where's the opportunity to grow if it's not when you don't know, right? Right. right. So, oh my God, I love this conversation. Um, you know, education. Obviously, having gone through law school, been, been a lawyer now for twenty plus years. Oh awesome. my God, I don't want to. I don't want to date myself, but <laughs> it's all experience. Know, and and then here's the thing as a lawyer i'll tell you this much i mean yes you know critical thinking number one you have to have that you can't i had a really uh challenging time um in law school because i have a learning disability mm -hmm. and but it was very um no one knew i did mm -hmm. not know and then it was discovered that i had multiple sclerosis which now makes sense mm -hmm. that i do have a learning disability and um but i struggled and mm -hmm. had i known this information i'm sure my life would have been different but you know this is what god called and this is what it is but for amigas out there in the educational system or wanting to pursue higher degrees like me like you know si quieres puedes like it's yeah, like absolutely. it's important to know that because just because you may not be good or strong in one area doesn't mean you know you should be uh defeated right and and it's an opportunity to grow and learn absolutely because, 
you know, your, your studies are proving that, are proving that if you nurture it and um, work with it, it's a plus, it's not a negative. Right, absolutely. When, when, when things are not working out, it's like, you gotta do it and, and not yeah. be scared, not be scared. Mm -hmm. Right? I agree. I mean, not, not be scared. And so I'm excited for the work that you're doing and that um, it's gonna be taken to the parents, which is very important because obviously yeah. like you're a parent, I'm a parent and, yeah. and um, many parents aren't physically there with their children but maybe if they see this study in their hands and they read up on it, maybe they they have a change of heart to be there for their kids at home or figure something out, like get a right. tutor or something like that. Or maybe maybe the state of California can actually put on a budget to have people have tutors to tutor exactly. their kids, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Just like how you tutored those kids mm -hmm. that were in high school. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to take out too much of your time, but this <laughs> no, is no. wonderful. This is wonderful. I'm very, very excited for this, Dr. Mercado. <laughs> very excited. So now as we're coming to the end of our conversation, I always ask my, my guests if they could provide one or two tips on how an amiga can handle her shit, because I know you have done it. Now you are a doctor and this is important amigas because this is coming from a doctor, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Listen up. Okay, well, for one, you know, becoming a, a, a getting my PhD was not easy. Um, there were many moments where I, I didn't feel sure of myself. Um, I, you know, as I said, I, I went in with um, a degree from Cal State LA. I went in with a bachelor's degree um, into my PhD program. And, you know, I went in very excited, like, wow, I'm in a PhD program. <laughs> um, but I think initially I kind of like felt a little like scared or, um, unsure of myself after that, when I, you know, learned, oh, your cohort, um, you know, so-and-so went to Harvard, so-and-so went here. And I think I started doubting myself. Um, but, you know, and, and I want to say that as part of my tip, you know, there's the saying that, you know, comparison is a thief of joy. And I think, you know, going in all excited to do this and then, you know, starting to see my, my cohort and, and that that took away that joy. Um, but I didn't let that, you know, get in my way. Um, I made sure to tell myself like, you know, Janet, you bring something really important. Like, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> you bring something important. You have the skills, you made it in here. So just do the work. And that's what I did. And, and that's, you know, my tip is, you know, don't get your mind, you know, in, into this comparison thing, because it could be one, a waste of time, because you're just thinking kind of negative about yourself instead of actually doing something. So, you know, um, instead of, of maybe thinking of, oh, how do I compare to them? How do I make myself, you know, a better Janet? Like, what can I do, Janet, just to, to meet my goals? Um, what can I do to, you know, get my PhD and, and do my projects? And it was just a matter of me like, okay, Janet, just get through the week. Okay, Janet, just get through the month, just get through the quarter. And, you know, just keeping that in mind, like no one can ever take away the work that you put in. And I think I just kept putting that on myself, you know, making myself accountable, not only to myself, but 
I would, you know, set up meetings with people, um, especially when it came down to writing my dissertation, because you're completely on your own when you're doing that. It's, it's completely on your time. So, you know, I would make obviously weekly meetings with my advisor. I would make um, meetings even with the writing center just to have someone to look at my writing to make sure that it's clear. But also you had to actually take something to the writing center. So that made me actually sit down and write um, my dissertation and, and be able to get that out like on time. Um, I just, you know, try to stay positive about it. I think the dissertation, they, they kind of refer to it as like this, like, I don't know, uh, like a marathon. A marathon isn't fun, you know, like maybe if you're a runner, but I'm not. So, you know, I kind of started looking at it like it's my garden, like the seeds of my questions, you know, that my thoughts for my seeds, you know, for my questions. And I developed it with all these skills. And, you know, over the years I had to, you know, tend to my, my dissertation and, and edit it and, and take care of it. Um, and I, I saw it as, you know, as something to work towards. It wasn't, it was never going to be perfect. It's published and it's, I'm sure if you look at it, you'll find typos. <laughs> But it's done. It's it's you know officially done, and I completed my program, and you know now I'm in this other you know first step of my my career in in this world. Um, so yeah, I think just don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to yourself. Yes, How can I, I get better. Yes, yes, I think that is perfect. I think uh, yeah, comparison is a thief of joy, and I I really love that you said that. You know, one of the things that I've always said. Um, that I learned as well is like, don't compare my middle to your beginning. Right. I mean, yeah. it's just, there's no comparison, right? And right. so that, and I feel like when we compare, we start getting into the imposter syndrome, like, mm -hmm. oh my God, who am I? I'm not, what, how can I, how can I? Right. And you decided to ask a better question, right? You decided to hold yourself accountable and tend to your own garden mm -hmm. and say, how can Janet do this? You right. know, and, and so I, I really, really, really applaud you for all the work that you have done. No one becomes a doctor just like that, uh, because a dissertation, like you said, <laughs> it's like a marathon, right? Yeah. And so, and some people, I mean, don't run marathons. I'll tell you that I don't run marathons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I love what you're saying. And thank you so much for doing the great work. And, and I feel that many individuals out there, many amigas have no idea that what goes on, you know, in the background, because you're, you're out doing, collecting the data compiling these studies of people and i think that we need more people like that more researchers more people to go out and find out and these congress people you know what the heck is wrong with you guys go and visit <laughs> these schools learn from the people themselves not right. just up from your from your uh uh, uh what is it your podium right preaching to everybody right well Thank you so much, Dr. Mercado. Oh, and um, I, I really, I love this conversation and I hope to see you very soon. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much, Jackie. And thank you all my amigas out there too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you for being here on Amiga Hambiership Podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe 
rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.